All right, so how do you start a sermon on work? Do I start with a self-depreciating anecdote about my first job? It's always a classic, you know, that I like to go there. Um, or do I go for something a bit more deep and profound, like throw out a, a big truth that, you know, suddenly you have to wrestle with right from the get-go? Or do I kind of reach within the realm of spiritual possibility for the very most profound kind of spiritual tool that I can draw out to begin this sermon with? That's what I did. And so uh, this morning, um, this is a pie chart. Uh, this is a pie chart. And you're going to discover how deep spiritual this pie chart is as we engage uh, in this topic of workers' worship. Over the next couple of weeks, we are, are going to be focusing on something that um, we've spoken about in the PM service quite a bit uh, and something that we regularly talk about here at ASBC, which is workplace mission, the integration of faith and work. Uh, and over the next two weeks, we're just going to light a fire under that because it's one of these things that can so easily be extinguished by just the regularity of life and practice. And, uh, and the reason I give you this pie chart is because uh, this is essentially an average uh, of somebody in their kind of, kind of mid-40s in Alice Springs, the breakdown of the hours of the day that generally are contributed to these particular areas. Now, of course, we could break them down into smaller portions and all that kind of stuff. I kind of went with the Mars bar, work, rest, play kind of model here. But generally speaking, on average, around about 30 to 35% of our life is spent doing work. About 30 to 35% of our life is spent resting, ideally sleeping, but you know that's not always the case. And then the other 35%, we try to cram everything else into that we want to do in our life. Um, of course, here in Alice Springs, we have that 1% commute, uh, which compares to somewhere like Melbourne, where suddenly the pie chart shifts and changes, and, uh, and now you can see why people live in Alice Springs. But, but nevertheless, for us, it's very easy, right? <laughs> it's very easy to fall into the trap of something that is very, very prevalent, not or especially within kind of the Christian faith, which is this division between the secular, right, and the sacred. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit this morning because this is a really, really important thing for us to understand. There is this sacred-secular divide that we sometimes instinctively make, right, when it comes to the expression of our faith. And sometimes it goes a little bit like this. Well, go to work as, as, a, as, a, as a teacher, or as a professional, as a primary carer. I might be retired, but my work is a significant investment in an area of voluntary kind of contribution. Whatever that work looks like for you, it's like that kind of work, unless it has this kind of Christian label and has kind of church endorsement, it's an official ministry, right? That is secular. That is in the world, right? And I do that in order to generate money so that I can live and ideally give it for kingdom purposes, right? This can sometimes be the trap we fall into. It's like, it's kind of a necessary evil. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't, but I need money. And also, I want to see God's kingdom extend. So if I can get enough money here to feel kind of secure, at least I can pour into this sacred area over a church. On the other hand, what we end up happening is that Everything that we do in church on a Sunday, you know, for the hour, hour and a half a week that we have, maybe we might include small group in there if we're lucky. Like that is the sacred stuff. Or like the 10, 15 minutes we take to study the Bible as a devotional each morning. Like that's my sacred space, right? That's the spot where God really is present. 
And you might be like, oh, Gavin, I don't think that way. And if you don't, fantastic. But I want to tell you that we slip into this type of thinking unless we deliberately position ourselves to think differently. And that's something that here at ASBC, I'm really proud that we continue to bring to the forefront. Uh, I mean, this sacred secular divide, I really love this definition. It's basically the pervasive belief that some things are really important to God and other things aren't. <laughs> Like, that's what this sacred secular divide is like. These things are really important to God. Like, worship through music is really important to God. Prayer is really important to God. They are, no? but it often comes at the expense of, well, this area of life is not important. Spreadsheets, nah. God doesn't care about those, right? It's, it's like, seriously, like, what is going on there? Well, this is exactly what is going on there. And yet when we talk about work as worship, it's important to come back to that concept of worship because worship is giving worth to something. When we sing a song, we give worth to our God, we declare truth. Then why in these areas of our life that constitute like 30, 35% of our life, do sometimes we slip out of that mentality that through what we do here, we can indeed give worth to God? And I would argue that very few people, whether they're Christian or not, understand the connection between their faith and their work. And that is what I'm going to be reminding us of today. Because this is something that God established from the beginning. And it's something that we are well worth being reminded of. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When I said it began at the beginning, I am not kidding. That is where we are starting, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you open your Bible, it's just after the contents page. Uh, if you've got an app, it might just be where it automatically opens, but this is where we're going to go. We're going to look into a little bit of what is going on here at the beginning. So these very familiar words, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep. We'll come back to that. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, many of us who grew up in the church uh, will be familiar with how this kind of creation narrative kind of plays out. We've kind of got that daily rhythm, good, good, good kind of happening. But I want to just focus initially on what we are talking about here in this narrative right from the beginning. Because we look at those words kind of formless and empty and darkness over the surface of the deep, and sometimes that kind of imagery is a little bit confusing to us. Now, in the Hebrew, the word right there for that word formless and empty is the Hebrew words tohu va vohu. Tohu va vohu. Now, it's often translated as formless and empty, and that's just really, really helpful when creating contrast between nothingness and creation, right? So that's why translators choose that. They go formless and empty because it makes it sound like there is like an emptiness, a deficit, right? That then, therefore, creation kind of springs forth, and it becomes this beautiful contrast, yeah? And that resonates with us. Beautiful. Love it. Love it. But tohu va vohu in the Hebrew actually has a lot more nuance than that. And it can quite easily be translated wild and waste. Wild and waste. This sense of chaos being over the surface of the deep. So rather than God coming 
creation out of a sense of nothingness. Instead, the narrative becomes something that's a little bit different, and that is God bringing order out of the chaos. God brings order out of the chaos. Now, this ties a whole lot into the biblical narrative, by the way. If you've ever, like, familiar with the story of Jesus calming the storm, right, you, in Jewish uh, thought, the waters and the deep waters and the surface of the deep, that kind of imagery, was deeply scary. It was connected with the idea of hell, actually, Hades, in Jewish thought. Even for the disciples, crossing over the Sea of Galilee was a very, very intimidating prospect, even for fishermen, because the idea of actually going over deep water was something that would deeply scare the Jewish psyche right? And it actually comes all the way back here to Genesis chapter 1, right? That the wild and waste, the chaos was over the surface of the deep, over the water, yeah? Which of course, side note, when Jesus calms a storm with a word, yeah? Right? You think there's a little parallel with Genesis and God speaking a word into creation, right? Okay, so Jesus is doing that, right? So there's this parallel going on between this idea of the chaotic waters and God, who brings order out of the chaos in the same way that Jesus, when he calmed the storm, brought order out of the chaos. Jesus is pretty awesome. But what we see right here, right, in Genesis chapter 1, is that God is a God who seeks to bring order out of the chaos. God is in the business of creativity, and God is in the business of bringing order order. And as he does, and as he continues to bring order through this creative process, what does he see over and over again? He says, it's good. It's good. It's good. Every step of the way till he gets to the pinnacle of creation right at the very end, and he looks back and he says, this is very good. Right? And so there is this deep connection between God who actually brings order out of the chaos and the kind of work that we are also called to do. Because God made humans through this process. We're going to skip up to Genesis chapter 2, the second creation narrative, and it says here from verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Very long-named trees, but nevertheless. The Lord God, in verse 15, continues, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree with the long name, for when you eat from it, you will most certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. We've talked about Ezra Connecto before, that help suitable helper. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So, we're picking these little pieces out because it's important to understand that from the very beginning, you have a God who is bringing order out of the chaos, out of the tohu vavohu, and then he creates humans, and before any sin enters the story, he has given people meaningful work to do. Okay, this is pre-sin, right? So sometimes we can get into this mentality of like sin is the result of, sorry, work is the result of the fall. And don't get me wrong, in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the fact that work is going to get a whole lot harder because of the fall, all right? Harder. 
but work itself was something that God ordained for people before sin even entered the story. You had the man given meaningful work to do, to look after the garden and to tend to it, to give names to the animals. What is he doing? He is bringing order out of chaos. By naming animals, he's bringing order out of a state of confusion, right? This is what God has invited us to do, to be essentially become co-creators with him. Work is not a consequence of sin, despite the, despite the fact that some days it feels like it, right? It's not. Work is deeply tied into how God created us to experience life. And I love the fact that even with this parallel, I love with the fact that you are Adam, the man in the garden, and he's like tending, like I'm out there in my veggie patch, like pulling out weeds and like harvesting different things. I'm like, man, I am literally participating in what God first ordained a person to do. There's something kind of raw about that. It's a great little reminder. And so God invites Adam to continue to bring order out of the chaos. Now, this is important because things that if we actually went through the entire narrative of that first kind of creation account, we would see that when God created, he didn't just make more, he actually instilled creation with the potential to produce more. He said, let the land produce vegetation according to their kind, seeds according to their kind. When he created animals, he actually said that the animals multiply. So he's not like, oh man, I only made two whales, chuck another whale in there right? He's like, actually, I'm instilling creation with the ability to produce more, right? And so creation becomes its own part of the creative process. And then, of course, as humans, we're called to steward that, to care for that, and continue to bring order out of the chaos. And so even from these early chapters, there's a few conclusions that we can draw. Number one, the world isn't finished yet. When God created and brought order out of the chaos, he instilled it with potential to create more. That's a good thing. Measured. It's a good thing. Number two, God invites us to participate alongside him in the ongoing creation of the world. That's what he did from the very beginning before sin entered the equation. But we know the reality right, of the conflict within us as humans. And so by our work and our contribution, we have a choice. We can either contribute to the order that God wanted to establish, or we can contribute to the chaos. Is it going to be tohu vavohu, or is it going to be God's creative expression? This is the narrative right there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? That we still participate in today. So when we think about work as worship, right, which again, it's this, kind of, if we've fallen into that trap of the sacred and the secular divide, the idea of work and worship kind of being mashed together can feel almost awkward. I don't want to sing praise songs while doing spreadsheets. It's like, no, 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 no. When we actually push those two pieces together, as I believe God intended them to be, we suddenly realize that as we go about the work doing whatever kind of expression that looks like, our contribution is to maximize the good, right, that we contribute to the ongoing creation of the world, right? That is what our work is about. That is what Adam's work was about, and that is the kind of mandate that we inherit. Whatever kind of work we do, are we adding to the good that God saw in creation? It's good, it's good, it's very good. Or are we contributing? to the chaos? 
where is our worth going through our work? And that's how we can and should break apart this whole sacred-secular kind of idea and suddenly realize that every part of life is an opportunity to actually maximize the good right, that God wants creation to be for his glory. And that's important. For his glory. Of course not to for our own. Now that concept, just in and of itself, might be new to you. But I promise you... <laughs> If you can start to find and discover, and we'll chat more about this, if you can discover that that work that you do that sometimes can be really, really hard. I chat to people, right? I know that work can be really, really hard. Not every environment is a conducive, helpful, life-giving environment. But suddenly, God has positioned you there to bring order out of the chaos. Like, man, you are stepping into something quite profound in that moment. People who are sick, there is a sense of chaos there. And as a doctor or a nurse or as a, uh, a counselor, you bring order out of that chaos. Right? You're an accountant in an industry that can be so rife with corruption, uh, where justice doesn't always prevail. You open up Excel and you provide a level of accountability, when well, accountant is, right? Accountability and justice to the numbers so that the vulnerable aren't exploited, ideally. If you're doing it for God's glory, all of these things are opportunities to bring order out of the chaos. And you might not, like, I mean, come on, teachers, right? <laughs> Got a class of grade threes. Chaos much? Got these minds that are exposed to all these influences. What is your role as a teacher to bring order out of that chaos to whatever measure of good is possible? Don't you tell me that that is not spiritual work, right? No, 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 that is not a paycheck. That is spiritual work that brings glory to God, just as Adam's contribution did from the beginning. But one more thought in this. How then maybe has God uniquely wired us to do this? And I, and I do this to, to give a little handle, potentially for those people who for this, this is just a reminder. You're like, yeah, I know this, Gavin, that's all good. But I want to give you a little handle on this in case this is helpful. It was a few years ago, I was at a conference and I got to hear from a, a guy named David Kinnaman. Uh, he is uh, an author, he's a researcher, he's a Christian over in the US based in California, uh, and he is the, uh, the CEO essentially of the Barna Group. Some of you will be familiar with Barna, they do a significant amount of research, uh, particularly in the area of, of Christianity and faith. Um, uh, amazing guy. And, uh, and he came to this conference and he spoke a lot about vocational discipleship. And that is, to that place that you are called, what does it look like to express your faith? We would use the term workers' worship, that's, that's totally fine. And he, uh, he did, had done some research and actually kind of unpacked the different kind of expressions of workers' worship that different people carried. These kind of three categories of callings, he would call it. And it was just fantastic. It was asking this question, how has God uniquely wired each of us to express our calling? He identified a few things that maybe or may not resonate with you. He kind of said there's kind of three categories of people. Like number one kind of category is the entrepreneur. And the way that they kind of bring order out of chaos is through abundance. 
They want to extend that kind of creative potential that God instilled within creation. It's like there's this opportunity for abundance and for the sharing and generosity of something. It's the opportunity to be creative, right? And come up with solutions potentially to problems. He kind of said there's a second kind of group which is a bit more science-minded. And these kind of people love the pursuit of order. You know, and that's common to us in our language we're using. They like to make sure things that work and they function well. These are the people who love flowcharts and Excel spreadsheets. And God wants to use those things. These are science-minded people who want a logical solution. And then you've got your creatives who just love beauty. They love, these are the artists, these are the musicians, right? And of course, we're all a mix of these things, all right? You don't have to be put in a box. But for some of you, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I am, I'm the creative. Like, that is how I'm wired, you know? It's like, yes, I work as an accountant, but the colors on my spreadsheets are just insane. You're like, it's like, there's this sense of like, you know that you are wired a particular way, right? And that is a good thing. Because God has uniquely wired you for your work so that it can be expressed in these various ways. I mean, there's something beautiful about, again, in that creative narrative, when the, the man saw that the fruit was good, it was beautiful. Like, that, like, beauty was a part of creation too. Sometimes we feel like, oh, yeah, the artist is like an added extra. Like, seriously, think about this for a moment. In heaven, I will not be employed as a pastor. People would rather go to Jesus, right? In heaven, there ain't going to be doctors, right? But in heaven, ooh, could there be artists? Interesting, right? It challenges us in our thinking a little bit, right? Around what we give value to. But the the way he framed this up is he said, sometimes entrepreneurs might be the people who like to create more. The science-minded people might be the people who like to create sense or make sense of things. That's how they create. And the creatives just create delight. Check this out. Look what I've made. Look how it speaks. It's great. Now, of course... Whenever we use that term more, right, it's right for problems in our fallen nature. You know, you take creating more to the extreme and you can end up with environmental impact, among other things. You to create sense uh, to the extreme and you can become legalistic. You create delight to the extreme and you can become gluttonous, right? There's, there's always the risk of these things. But nevertheless, this is how we're wired. I just wonder if that's liberating for you. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm so delighted to know that God wired me this way. And that not only he wired me this way, but this 35% of my life that maybe I dismissed, God wants to use me to bring order out of the chaos in that space, exactly how I am. For his glory, so good. It opens up our lives to suddenly see that faith isn't some sort of added extra. Faith is in and through all that we do. And again, I recognize, I want to just acknowledge that particularly here in this church, in ASBC, here in Alice Springs especially, people get this. I want to acknowledge that people get this. But that makes us the kind of people who actually have a responsibility to continually share that message with other people who may not know it. There is no divide between the secular and the spiritual. In case you need the authority of someone called Spurgeon, he says this, To a man who lives unto God, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. He puts on his workday garment and is a vestment to him. He sits down to his meal and it is a sacrament. He goes forth to his labor and therein exercises the office of the priesthood. His breath is incense and his life a sacrifice. 
to draw a hard and fast line and say, this is sacred and this is secular, is to my mind diametrically opposed to the teaching of Christ and the spirit of the gospel. Good on you, Spurgeon. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise then. When you've got through the New Testament, Paul speaking to the people of Colossae, and he drops these kind of lines, in whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's like it shouldn't surprise us. It's not just about church stuff. The workplace is a spiritual place, and you can choose for your work to be an act of worship. And so my question for us to ponder, and again, I recognize that what work looks like for people is going to be so varied across this congregation. Again, people are retired and your work is primary carer or volunteering. You might be a young professional and you're working as a doctor. Like People across the spectrum have different experiences of this. If you're a student, you're a teenager, your work is essential to your education, right? Like That's kind of where you give that kind of work time. right? And sometimes it can feel like a chore. <laughs> what if it wasn't? What was an opportunity for worship? Because each of these places, however they're expressed, has an opportunity for you to bring good into the world, the same way that God did from the beginning. Whether you're an accountant, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a primary carer, whatever it might be, whether you're a student, whether you're retired, whatever that work looks like, it's an opportunity to bring good. So are you contributing to the order or the chaos? I hope that as followers of Jesus, we can be contributing to the order. And not just as a contributor, but as a co-creator, and to actually experience that, that invitation that God extended to us from the beginning. And I admit, sometimes, in some contexts, it can be hard when you see yourself as a tiny cog in a big industry. right? But again, what was the story of creation? It was a story of something being spoken and expanding with potential. Need we be reminded of Jesus' parable of the mustard seed. Never underestimate the good that you can bring in God's name. So what if you actually believe that God had specifically called you to your workplace at this time for a purpose? What would it look like if you saw the work, whatever that looks like, hospitality, teaching, as inherently spiritual? How might that shift and change the understanding of an integrated faith where Christ was at the forefront of all that we do? Next week, I'm going to push this a little bit further. It's only a two-week series, so I'm going hard and fast, all right? But these are the kind of conversations we've been having as a church for a really, really long time. We're going to keep having them. Right? Because this is what we do. We're not just a Sunday church. Right? We are people on mission every day. And this, 35 plus percent of our life, is a key part of that. Let me pray. God, thank you that you can prompt us to re-examine our understanding of what we give our time and our energies to. I want to thank you, God, for how you've wired us. I don't want to thank you, Lord, that even as I consider our church family, I see the entrepreneurs and I see the science-minded people and I see the creatives and, and, God, you see them even more than I do. And it must bring you such incredible joy, Lord, to know that you have positioned people 
all across this town, indeed across this nation and world, to be co-creators with you in and through their work. And so God, I want to pray that we would commit not only to seeing our work, whatever that looks like as spiritual, I want to pray that we would be committed to bringing order out of chaos. And if there's something in our work where maybe we realize that we're not doing that, I want to pray that you challenge us. If we're stirring dissent, if we're contributing to the chaos, I want to pray that you convict our hearts and remind us, God, that, that the worship and the good that we bring is for you and your glory. But God, first and foremost, open our eyes to the fact that you are at work, not in these marginal parts of our life, but in all of our life. And so, God, we pray in faith that as we take that mantle, as we have that posture, you will do a work through us, that you would receive the glory, Lord, but also we would see the fruit that would be a reminder, God, of this truth that, yeah, there is no sacred and secular. It's all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kate.